welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. It really is great having you all here this, this evening. And we had a fantastic morning in Stanaton. A couple of the people sitting in front were there with us. They're the people whose eyes are, are drooping like this. So, and make sure the person sitting next to you is awake. It's an early morning get up for their, their morning service. But it was really just a fantastic time and just a time of saying thank you to everything that Anton and Christelle have sown into the church and the way they've established really a healthy congregation there and they're moving on to just a different area of ministry that God's called them to, which we're very excited with, together with them, still with Shofar, just in a, in a different focus. And Dani and Yakumin, just celebrating with them everything God's done. And just a new season in their life, just praying with them. And a whole bunch of our band members were there in between Stanaton this morning and exams. So we've got a bit of a smaller band. But I love these times when you've got a smaller band where it's not about the band that's worshiping. It's really just... Someone just leading us into God's presence. So thanks for that, and Tian and Martin and Vanya. But it's just so great to, to be able to have joined with the Stanaton group this morning and just come together to proclaim God's praises over that city and to pray with them. And we had a special time there. And before I forget, Meryl led worship there this morning, so she's not here now, I don't think. Probably still on the way back. But it's her birthday today, so... If you've got a number, spam her, email her, SMS her, Facebook her, tweet her, whatever. Um, really just thank her for the incredible blessing that she is to us as a family. And just pray for her as well. And, and let her know how much, how much we love and appreciate all that she does for us. And the way she leads us so faithfully into God's presence week after week. So please do make a point of telling her happy birthday. She'll love it. You know, arty people, they, they love it. If she was here now, we'd sing for her. Before we get to know you can't, we learned some know you can't today in Stanaton. I was driving to Stanaton early morning. and My light went on, which normally means that I must now stop at a filling station. So I stopped at the filling station to refuel because that's what you do at the filling station. And we had a discussion with a really nice guy who was refilling the tank and I stopped there and I had a look kind of 93, 95 fill up with 93, that's fine and everything and he fills up with 93 and we pay because that's what they do at a filling station a lot and then we start driving away and I said what's wrong with my car because a couple of weeks ago or months ago whenever we were there last time Hayden was driving and he broke the turbo And now I'm thinking, every time I come to Stanaton, something goes wrong with my car. And then I had this picture in my mind's eye of a green petrol tank, because petrol is green. And there's a green sticker on the petrol. Have you guys seen the green sticker on the, on the pump? There's only one little problem. I drive a diesel car. <laughs> so, no, you can't. It's not a good idea to put diesel petrol in your diesel car. It just doesn't go anywhere. You might as well put water in. It's a lot cheaper. But anyway, praise the Lord. My car is now at the doctor in Stanaton awaiting surgery and a blood transfusion and all the other things that need to be done. But that is just totally off the topic. Just when I saw the no, you can't. But before we know you can't, what I'd like us to do this evening, because circles are better than rows, if we can just turn in groups of three or four to one another, and I'd like you just to chat just a little about a little something for a few moments, and I know it's kind of really short time for a really big question, but just chat, I think we can pop the question up there, miraculously it appears on the screen, there we go, okay, what is one of the biggest, doesn't have to be the biggest, but one of the biggest or most challenging decisions you've had to make in your life, and why, and just chat around that a little bit, and specifically around what were the factors that, that kind of you had to weigh in this decision and what eventually made you decide what you decided. So if you guys can do that, just take a couple of moments, about five or ten minutes or so, and just groups of three or four, just chat through that a little bit. 
a big decision that you've had to make, a really challenging decision, and, and why? For the last while, we've been speaking about maturity in a, in a whole bunch of different ways and at various levels. And maturity obviously has a lot to do with the way in which we make our decisions, with the way in which we react in circumstances. And this evening, I'm wanting us to, to think about, about that a little bit. And as I said, no, you can't. We'll get to what exactly that. And on the way driving here with Christoph, my knight in shining armor, who had space in his vehicle to, to bring me back. Driving on the way back and just sort of chatting to them through the message with him, just bouncing some ideas of him. I said, maybe rather than calling it, no, you can't, we should call it, with God, it is impossible. Yes, you heard right. With God, it is impossible. Because we live in a culture that's all about, yes, you can, thanks, Mr. Obama, you know, and church is all about, yes, we can, yes, we can. With God, nothing is impossible, etc., etc. But there are some things in Scripture that Jesus is pretty clear about. No, you can't. There are some things that with God, those things are impossible. I'm wanting us to talk about one or two of those things this evening. But before we do that, quickly by show of hands, how many of you in your, your discussions now that when you were talking about one of the main factors that you had to consider in this big decision that you had to make, or whatever decision it was, one of the main factors was money. Whether you said it or not, and realizing now, oops, there was actually that too. In your big decisions, how many of you, money was a factor? Slowly your hands are popping up. It's like making an altar call, you know, when you realize, oops, actually, actually me too. But the reality is that we make more financial decisions than any other decision. Virtually every single decision we make in our life has got a very strong financial component to it. The really important decisions like, what am I going to have for lunch? It's a, that's an important decision. Hmm? Where am I going to live? Who am I going to live with? Am I going to study? If so, what am I going to study? Am I going to get married? When am I going to get married? How many people am I going to invite to my wedding? You laugh about those until you start getting engaged, and then you realize those are serious financial decisions. Should I get married? Am I going on missions? What Bible do I read? All of those are financial decisions. To a large extent, am I going to family camp? Financial, the answer is yes, if people were wondering about that. But there's a financial component. There's a financial component to that. And just before we forget, turn to the person next to you and say, next week, 6 o'clock, don't come. Next week, 6 o'clock, and for the next while after that, during the holiday, we only got one service, the 20-something of July will start with the, the 6 o'clock service again, but next week, just remember, 4 o'clock service only. And the truth is that we make a heck of a lot of financial decisions every single day. Scripture speaks about our finance way more than most of us would care to admit. And with us in church here, those of you who have been around, you'll agree, we really don't talk about money a lot, if ever. But Scripture does. Jesus talks about it a lot. He talks about it all the time. I encourage you to go look, go look, go look. I'm trying to say read, okay? Go read Luke chapter 16, 17, and 18. Take a bit of time in the week and just go meditate through those passages and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you something about His heart when it comes to finances. And we'll read those passages just now, but Luke, go read Luke 16 and 17, 18. Because I believe God's wanting 
to establish in us an understanding of finance the way he sees it. I believe God speaks about it a lot because the world speaks about it a lot. But the way the world speaks about it is totally different to the way God speaks about it. So he speaks about it a lot to help us just to counter everything we hear from the world. The world has so much to say about our finances and the way we should and must be spending our money. I said yesterday, you know, I like tech stuff a little bit. So, you know, every Thursday or whatever, I get this post. You know, spam is not an email thing. Sometimes you actually get spam in your post box as well. And I get spam from Game, Macro, Dion Wired, and Builder's Warehouse every Thursday. And it's quite fun. It's actually decent spam. You know, you don't ask for it, but you can page through it, and especially the Dion Wired stuff because they've got, like, nice TVs in there. The only problem is they cost 375,000 rand. And I'm not exaggerating either. <laughs> but you know what I realize? My need for a newer, bigger, fancier television set is directly proportional to the number of times I page to that Dion Wired. If I don't pick it up, I don't, I don't have a sudden, if I pick it up suddenly, I need that TV. Oh, I, ladies, you know you need to pick up the pep stores thing and you need those shoes. <laughs> but this whole world is, is wired towards exposing us and enticing us to spend money on things we don't really need. And the more we look at it, the more it manages to convince us that we actually do need that. And we end up spending our money on a whole bunch of stuff and afterwards we ask, why? Did I really need to spend 375,000 rand on a new TV? Did I really need to do this? What was wrong with my old one? There's nothing wrong with spending money on yourself. Please don't misunderstand me. We need to do that. And two years ago or so, we did a finance seminar, and I really think it was an incredibly special time, and we just laid some really good biblical foundation around finances. And I think there's some DVDs at the back for the rest of this month. They're on special for 30 bucks each. So get one. If that's too expensive, go into the internet and download the stuff. You can find it there on our website. It's all for free. Makes a really nice gift as well. But just really solid stuff. And just yesterday morning, some of you were there. We spoke about finances again for the morning. And we had three different sessions around finances. And a whole bunch more of you needed to be there. And you weren't there. But that's okay. God will forgive you. But I read from... From Luke chapter 16. Because the point is, we don't speak about money probably nearly as much as we, we probably could and maybe even should. And I think it's important that the, the times that we do set aside to talk about these important topics, that, that we understand the importance of those moments in our lives and, and we're there when it matters, when, when God's really going to impart and, and establish something in our hearts. And I read from Luke chapter 16. And I'd like us just to read that passage again. I'm not going to say what I... The same session that I, I did yesterday, you should be able to download that from the net. But I really want us to read this passage again because it's Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he tells this crazy story, a story which every time I read it freaks me out because it's just totally wrong. And Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about, except that it's Jesus. So I probably don't know what he's talking about, but we'll try and figure it out. So he said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you giving it about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Let's just pause there quickly. When we talk about finances and church and church life and Christianity, we often talk about this word stewardship. Stewardship just basically means to manage that, to look after that which belongs to somebody else. It's not mine, it's somebody else's. I'm just looking after it on their behalf. And that's what this guy was doing. He was a steward. And the truth is, you and I are just stewards. God gives us a whole bunch of things. Whether they be time, whether they be physical possessions, whether they be cars, whether it be money in our bank account, whether it be relationships. He gives, God entrusts us with a bunch of things that are actually His. And He allows us to look after it for Him and to manage it on His behalf. It's important that we understand that and the quicker we make peace with the fact that nothing I have is mine, it's all His, and I just manage it on His behalf, the quicker we can get onto God's page around this. Because then the question isn't, what do I want to do with this? The question is, God, what do you want me to do with your stuff? 
How do you want me to spend your stuff, God? How do you want me to look after your stuff? Far healthier question to then, what do I want to do with this? Sometimes God's going to say, well, that little bit I'm leaving to your discretion to do as you please for your pleasure. And God will do that. God's got no problem with us. He says that we must enjoy the fruit of our labor. And we spoke about that at length in, in one of the sessions in the previous year's seminars. I'd encourage you to get that. But just the principle of stewardship is important that we get. So the steward, I love the story, says within himself, maybe let's just pray because we, before we carry on. Father, we thank you this, morning, this evening that it's your word that changes lives. No man's opinion, God, and no fancy idea. And we pray right now, God, that you would remove every opinion from man, from our hearts and from our mouths, Lord God. And Holy Spirit, you would come and breathe the living word of God over us. We know we shall not, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And we pray, Lord, that as we sit under your word, as we read your word, Lord, that you would cause your word to be sustenance to our souls, Lord, in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just declare my dependence upon you that, Lord, it's only you that can transform. That, God, you would use these words, Lord, as vehicles for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's this the steward. He's just been called in by his boss. His boss says, I'm hearing that you're wasting my money, so I'm going to fire you. He gives him advance warning. So the steward goes and he calls every one of his master's debtors to him. And he says to the first, how much do you owe my master? He says, a hundred measures of oil. So he, he said to him, take your bill. Sit down quickly and write 50. Then the steward said to another, and how much do you owe? So the other guy said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. Let's pause there quickly. This story up to here makes sense. Everyone got the story? The boss, rich guy, he's got a guy working for him. The guy working for him is about to get fired. And the master makes a, the mistake of giving him warning. If you're going to fire someone, just fire them. <laughs> Maybe that's the biblical. Don't give him time to go and read the Bible. So this guy goes and he sees, I'm about to get fired. I've got a problem. So I get fired. I can't stay where I'm staying. I'm going to need a new job. I'm going to need a new place to stay. So I've got a plan. I'm going to call all my boss's debtors, everyone who owes my boss money. And he asks them, how much do you owe? 100,000 bucks. Okay, let's make that 50,000. How much do you owe? 80,000. 100,000 as well? Okay, we make it 80,000. He's just writing off debt, left, right, and center. And two illustrations there, but he kind of says, calls all the debtors. Up to here, the story still makes sense. But the next part freaks me out. Because look what the master does, the rich guy. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. Let me just pause there quickly. Do you guys get what's happening here? The boss doesn't say, I should have fired you yesterday. Why did I waste my time? The boss isn't livid. The boss isn't upset with the guy. The boss just says, well done. You've written off half the debt that people owe me. Well done. That's a crazy parable, isn't it? And it never made sense to me. And one of those parables kind of, it would make sense to me if the boss was livid. Then obviously it would make sense. Except that's not what happens here. He says to him, he calls the guy, he says, I'm firing you, but well done. You've dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in the generation than the sons of light. So that's a parable that Jesus tells. And then Jesus says, and I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. That's what I spoke about yesterday morning, that, that passage there. And without going over the whole process, I think it's important to understand that the money that God gives to us is simply a tool that He places in our hand to help us achieve the purpose He places in our heart. He says, take that money and use that money to win people. Take that money and use that money to buy people. That's what He's saying. Make friends with your, for yourself with unrighteous mammon. Just use it as a tool. And I think God's going to begin to help us to use our finance a little bit better when we begin, begin to understand this principle that God has given us a tool in our hands to achieve the purposes in our hearts. Before we spoke about that, I first said to everyone here yesterday, I said, listen, take a moment, and just in your groups like we did this morning, 
Well, it's evening now. Sorry, it's dark. Dark as night, okay? Like we did this evening, just in your groups, just ask yourself one question, and I want you to chat around this, and then try and reduce it to like two sentences at most. What is it that you want to achieve in your life? What is it that you want to achieve in your life? And I encourage you to go and sit in your bed, take a bit of time this week, and ask yourself that question. What is it that I want to achieve in my life? And I hope for those of us who are part of this church, who are members here, that words like God's glory and His renown, His fame among the nations, disciples, salvation, people's lives transformed and changed, I hope that in your two sentences, those themes, those words would be embedded there. Not so much nice family, big house, good job. That we understand that the purpose in our heart is so much bigger than the ways of this world. And then, sort of the summary of my session yesterday, the tool God's placed in my hand, is it helping me reach the purpose He's placed in my heart? Because it's amazing how we often use our money and the enemy distracts us with a whole bunch of ways and we're doing our money except it's not getting us to where our heart wants us to go. So I spoke about yesterday and I encourage you, listen to that session if you get a chance. So his master commanded him and Jesus said, make for yourselves, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? There are just three principles before we get to the core of what I want to share with us this evening that I want to highlight from these verses. The first one, and sort of scary sometimes when I talk to Christians, I talk to believers, and I realize that some of us are afraid of success. Some of us are afraid of having money. Some of us are afraid of being wealthy. Because there's this thing in the back of my head that I'm going to, if I get rich, then I won't be able to serve God. That money will corrupt me. That money will steal and turn my heart away from God. And I want to encourage you to trust God to come and break that lie because Scripture says exactly the opposite. Scripture says not that money is going to corrupt you. Scripture says that you're probably corrupted already because money doesn't corrupt. It only amplifies what's already in the heart. If you're faithful in a little, you'll be faithful when the money comes. You'll be faithful when the power comes. If you deal with the 10 rand righteously, then you'll deal with the 10 million rand righteously. But if you're looking to see what you can skim off the top of the 10 rand, you'll probably try and look to see what you can skim off the top of the 10 million rand as well. And God needs to do some serious work in our heart because I believe God wants to pour finance over His church for His church to be able to become the church of glory that He intended it to be. There's only one problem, you and me. That we're not even faithful in the little so how on earth can you entrust us with a much? You know, if someone steals a million rand from a casino, everyone expects that, a casino worker. But if that same temptation were to happen in church and somebody from a church would steal a million rand, that's front page of all the newspapers. And God wants us to come to a place where we begin to deal righteously with the little so that he can empower us with a much. And that's why it's so great that so many of you here already at a young age saying, God, help me to establish these principles, these areas in my life so that I can deal faithfully with a little God so you can begin to entrust me with a much because the church needs people who you can trust God. God loves everybody. We know that, am I right? He loves you and he loves me in an incredibly powerful way. He even loves the person sitting next to you. But you know what? He doesn't necessarily trust them. Because trust has to be earned. Love isn't earned. Not from God. He gives it to us unconditionally. While we were still sinners, Christ loved us. But he says, I'll trust you when you show yourself trustworthy. When you show yourself faithful, then I can begin to trust you. And that's the first thing that I want us to just understand is don't be afraid of money because money can't corrupt you but it can amplify what's on the inside. Trust God to hide righteousness and integrity on the inside. And then watch as the money amplifies that righteousness and that integrity, as the power amplifies that godliness that God's placed within your inside. 
Then the second part there from the second verse, verse 11. If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? It's a rhetorical question. The, the obvious answer is not God, not me. Two years ago when we did this first finance seminar, this was sort of the one thing that struck me the most. Praying, preparing beforehand, and just a little bit of background. At that stage, two years ago, Heinrich had just moved to Johannesburg, and i just sort of taken over the, the leading of this church. And before that, I'd been mostly working with students, like some of you are, and students don't have a lot of money, so you don't have money issues with students. You do have money issues, they don't have money. And that's the issue with money, is they don't have it. You know, Like some of you have marriage issues, you don't have one. Some of you have car issues, you don't have a car. I've got car issues too, but that's a different problem. That's my own stupidity. Right? But if someone wants to pray that God would turn the petrol into diesel, that would be an incredible prayer to pray. Yeah? If you can turn water into wine, then you can turn petrol into diesel and then the problem is solved. But I started working with some of the older people in church, some of the people who were income earners, and I was shocked. Not because I was so brilliant with finance or anything, but just simply I'd known God for a while, and I'd, because I'd studied finance, I'd kind of put the two together in my own head and prayed through a bunch of things and worked through a bunch of things. And I started working with some of the people in church who were income earners, not students anymore, and I realized we have a problem. We have a big problem. We are clueless as to what the Word of God has to say about our money. Started praying into that, started praying about that, and that's where the first finance seminar was born out of, just coming and saying, God, what is it, the principles about finance that you want to lay in our life that are applicable to everybody? Not an answer for this person's specific question, but just as a rule. And this is the number one verse that jumped out to me throughout that time as we were preparing for that seminar. If you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And I begin to look at money differently because I don't know about you, but I'm praying for true riches, which has got nothing to do with money. And I hope that as a prayer, we're praying about true riches, about people's lives and salvations and destinies turned around and transformed by the grace of God, about the problems in this life that really matter. And praying into that and praying about that. And it's God was just saying, Philip, it's great that you guys are praying about that. Keep praying, keep asking. But you know what the key is to release that? It's looking after your own money well. And that was a a total mind shift for me to realize that God is seriously interested in how I deal with my money. So much so that he's not going to trust the stuff that matters to him, to me, unless I first show myself faithful in the way I deal with my money. Made me think about a budget differently. It made me think about, you know, there's your budget, which is what you do at the beginning of the month. This is what I want to spend my money on. In other words, my intended priorities. And if your budget doesn't match your priorities, then you're just lying to yourself. So go draw up a budget and say, this is what, I, this is what it's important to me. So I'm going to draw up a budget according to what is important in my heart. That's my budget. And then at the end of the month, I get something similar, but it's called a statement. It makes a statement. It says, what is actually my priority? What am I really spending my money on? And then a part of the trick is narrowing the gap between the budget and the statement because they don't always look the same. And one of the things I started realizing kind of when we were talking to people and just working with people in finances and going through a bit of financial difficulty is most people didn't even know what they were spending their money on. They had a budget. And then they asked them kind of, and then we started saying, okay, but let's write down what we're actually spending the money on too. Some of them said with eyes as big as this. They didn't realize they were actually spending money on this thing or that. Am I spending that much on that? No, no, that must change. And the only way they started realizing it was they started writing it down. I want to encourage you, write down the money you spend. It's really not hard. It's a small discipline you're going to get into and God's going to bless it abundantly. Because it's his money, not yours. And if he comes and knocks on your door and says, listen, Philip, that money I gave you last month, what did you do with it? Hopefully we'll be able to give him an answer. 
flip that around a little bit. Maybe you're a financial manager and I managed to scrape some money around together and I come to you and I say, here's 10,000 rand. I want you to look after it for me. Can you steward this on my behalf? Then after six months, I come back and we sit around the same table again. I say, listen, that money I gave you, what's happened to it? He said, oh, I spent it. On what? I don't know. What do you mean? No, I can't remember. I think I spent it on something. But don't ask me what. You think you're going to get any more money from me? Exactly the same. When God entrusts stuff to us, He's looking for us to be faithful in that. But it's so important that we get that it's not about us being faithful about the money for the money's sake. The money is just an indication of faithfulness in our heart. God drew it up that way. I didn't decide it that way. Someone didn't come up with a nice opinion. God said, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, you can forget about the stuff that really matters. When I clicked that, it changed the way I thought about my money. It changed the way I spent it. It changed the way I looked at it. It changed the way I kept record about it. I want to encourage some of you need to go and start up a Google document or a spreadsheet or whatever you want to do. Take out a pen and paper and just write down, God, what am I spending my money on, Lord? It's not so much that I'm interested in the money, but you're interested in the money. I'm interested in the true riches, but we've got to disconnect, God. You're not going to give me the true riches until I get the money thing right. It's a second point from from that passage that I wanted us to highlight. The third one, it says, if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? One of the keys to promotion, one of the keys to receiving from God is not only in how much we pray and how much we, how deep spiritual we get and all of that stuff isn't obviously value in, in that to an extent. But you know what? One of the things that God's looking at, He's just simply looking at what are you doing with somebody else's? What are you doing with somebody else's? If you've got a vision, you want God to release the vision and the dreams in your heart, you know what I encourage you to do? Find somebody else who's got a dream and a vision. Serve it. Lay your life down for Be faithful with their dream and with their vision. And then watch what God does in your heart by giving you your own vision. If you want a husband or a wife, how are you treating somebody else's husband or somebody else's wife? Whether they're married or not is not the point. If you are until you become faithful in somebody with somebody else's, whatever it is, someone lends you a car. You lend their car for a weekend, or you lend whatever it may be, a textbook or a book or whatever. How do you look after that thing? Are you faithful with that thing more than you would be with your own? Because until you're faithful with that, God's not going to begin to give you your own. It's not that God's being difficult. He's just saying, I'm not going to trust you with stuff if you don't show yourself trustworthy. And you don't have anything yet, so you start by showing your child trustworthy with the stuff that other people have. And as God sees, oh, I can trust him with it, I can trust her with that, I can give her that, then he begins to respond. But we need to demonstrate and prove our trustworthiness to God. We can't just expect him to trust us. God, you know my heart. Yes, I know your heart, but the rest of you is pretty useless. You know, I know your heart, but you can't drive a car, so don't let me think I'm going to give you a car because I saw what you did to that other guy's car. I know you want a husband, but I saw what you did to that other guy. I know you want a wife, but I saw what you did to that girl. Start learning to lay down your own vision. And you want a vision, God? God, I want a vision. Well, find someone and serve it. Lay down what is of your own and start serving faithfully. How do you serve faithfully? Is it by doing what you think is right in the situation? No. It's by doing what they would do in that situation. How do you manage somebody else's money well? Not by doing what you think should be done with the money, but by doing what they think should be done with their money. That's the measure of service. The measure of service isn't how much of am I doing, it's how faithful am I representing you in my capacity. If you were here, how would you do it? Because that's how I need to be doing it. That's how you know if you, you're serving somebody well. And then the poor, that was all just an introduction. The point that I, I want us to zoom in on a little bit tonight, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
No, you can't. With God, it's impossible. It's either God or it's many. And I'm not talking about kind of the whole, my whole entire life, I'm serving God, I'm serving heaven. I trust most of us in this room, we've got that one settled up. I'm talking about the day-to-day, everyday decisions we make. The seemingly little things, as well as the significant decisions. We can't serve God and mammon. And how do I know which one I'm serving? It's pretty easy. What is the basis upon which I'm making the decision? Who's got the final say? If I'm caught between this thing that just doesn't make sense at all, but I know God's saying that, and this one that makes financial sense, and I can figure this one out, which one am I going to choose? When it comes to choosing my job, how do you pick the job that you're going to take next year? Those of you that are finished studying or moving to a new job, well, it's easy. He's going to pay me the most. It's amazing how quickly we become fleshly and carnal in our decision-making. It's amazing how quickly kind of the ways of the world just permeate right in there where it matters. And Jesus says, you can't serve me and money. In other words, money can't be the decision. Yes, there's a money factor. Yes, we must pray about it. Yes, we must count the cost. Yes, we must know what the implications are. But you know what serving God is about? And not money? It's about choosing to follow Him despite the potential financial implications. God, you're crazy, and this is just ludicrous. It's going to ruin me financially. But I know you're saying this, so here I go. That's how we know if we're serving God. How do I make every decision? You know, we have some people and don't even know who they were. Just someone spoke to me about them. A couple in church here with us. And unmarried couple and moved in together. And someone spoke to them and said, listen, you know, it's probably not the best idea. And they say, no, it's probably not the best idea, but financially it makes sense. Because we're saving because we, we don't have to pay for, for two places to stay. My response is simple. You, they were saying, no, they, they can't afford to move out. My response is really simple. You can't afford not to move out. Some people would say, I can't afford to do Bible school. You can't afford not to do Bible school. I can't afford to go on the family camp. You can't afford not to go on the family camp. There are certain things that are just so crucially important to what God is wanting and what God is doing in our lives that we can't afford not to. We can't afford not to serve Him, irrespective of the financial cost. I'm trusting God that, you know, especially with a bunch of students, we're going to continue to grow as a church and it's already happening in some people's lives. That when it comes to our final year, to the end of our final year, okay, God, now I need to start looking for a job. It's not, okay, where am I going to get the biggest salary? And we start going to our pastors and we say, listen, where are we looking to plant a church? Where, where can I go and, and serve? Where's a church that I, that I can go and serve at? Even more important, going to God and saying, God, where do you want me to be next year? God, that company doesn't pay well. I don't care if they pay well or not. That's why I want you. Just changing our hearts a little bit, changing the prayer life a little bit towards are we serving God or are we serving money? And I know for some people tonight, I'm, I'm touching a little bit of a, a raw wound, but it's so important that we just address this. That we understand that there's only one place where Jesus, in a sense, humors us and compares him to any other God. He says to us, no, you can't. You can't serve God and mammon. It's amazing how often we think we do. We think we can merge these two and kind of we're going to keep God happy and choose this. And it's mostly in this area where that happens. Few things test and reveal our faith as directly as our financial choices. Hebrews 11 verse 6, beautiful verse. Another can't with God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. With God, it's impossible to please Him if you don't have faith. Another you can't. The money thing is the biggest faith challenge most of us have in our lives. Living by faith isn't sort of an old school thing. It meant living by faith meant that I don't have a salary, I don't have any income, and I just trust God every month supernaturally He's going to pay money into my bank account. 
people lived like that for years, and that's great if that's God where God led you, but that's not faith necessarily. Faith doesn't stop with a vain hope. God, I really want this. So God, I'm going to pray and I'm going to put my faith out because the more I do that, eventually you're going to want me to want to have this and then we're all happy. That's not faith. Faith is just slowing down and simply going to God and saying, God, what do you say about this situation? God, how do you want me to steward this? Hearing him speak and then saying, okay, God, that. Here we go. Full steam ahead. And especially with your big decisions, I want to encourage you, make sure that you're not the only one that's hearing that. Make sure the people you know that know God, that pray with you, that trust you, that love you, they're hearing it too and there's agreement in the Spirit because otherwise it's probably just your own pride or something happening there. You go, God, I know God spoke to me. He wants me to have the new Porsche Carrera. The reason it was the Holy Spirit inspired today the petrol and the diesel thing because God wants me to step away from the lack of glory into a new, deeper glory. And you know, sometimes we get whacked like that in our head and we think, you know, the stanaton cold freezes our brains and kind of all sorts of weird stuff happens. And we think that's now God that's spoken. And then you need a good friend just to whack your head awake again, just to realize, No. Let's not be so carnal in our approach to God. And then it's great to have a friend. And the same with the relationship, the same with the job opportunity, the same with the new company or whatever. It's so important that there's agreement around that with the people that we know hear the voice of God and carry our best interests at heart, that pray with us, that can say, this is God. This is a God thing. And then you can step out in faith. Because faith is not about what you see. It's about what God has already seen. And the reason we call it faith is because it takes a bit of faith. Like Peter stepping out of the boat. That's the most beautiful faith picture of all the faith pictures. Here's a guy who's lived around the sea his whole life. He knows water. And yet somehow Jesus says to him, walk on the water. And he takes that step. And he walks on that water. And we love laughing at Peter because he's a douchebag because he sank. That's what we always talk about when Peter walked on the water. The only problem is we miss something. How many steps have you ever taken on the water? How many of us have walked on water? And then we miss the second part. There's a B part to the story that's not written there, but it has to be there. Because somehow Peter got back in the boat. Either he walked back or Jesus carried him back. And every, each one of us would give our whole lives for that experience, whichever way it worked out. Yes, there was a moment where he took his eyes off Christ, but there's this beautiful story of him stepping out and it's just going against everything he knows except that he knows God has said. Everything inside of him says, this is totally impossible, this can't work, but God. Beautiful picture of faith right there, especially when it comes to our finances, that same principle. I said this already. How do we know if we're serving God? Well, when we learn to walk in obedience to him, irrespective of the financial implications. In Luke 18, just a couple of chapters after what we've read now, this rich guy comes up to Jesus, this rich young kid. The message, (laughs) the heading in the message for this bit says, Jesus counsels a rich man. I love kind of the way that he counsels him. There's this really rich guy, he comes and he he says a certain ruler, who's a young guy, is a rich guy, said, good teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. In other words, Jesus is saying, are you calling me good because you think I'm God? Or just testing what's going on in the guy's heart. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And then the passage carries on. And he said, all these things, the young kid, this ruler says, I've, all these things I've kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Now the question I want to throw out at us tonight, and I want to encourage you to go and just pray through in the week. It's not a question I expect you to be able to answer now. But just to go and pray about What if 
Jesus said this to you. I'm not saying he's saying this, but what if he did? What if he did come to you and he said to you, whatever your name is, all of this that you find security and safety in, everything that provides surety for you in your life, your bank deposit, whatever it is that you have, your house, your car, all of it, sell it, give it up and follow me. How would you respond? How would you react? I know some of you could really pure hearts and be like, yes, Jesus, we'd all sign up, I'm there. Take the keys, go, someone just take this, the quicker you can take it, the quicker I can follow Jesus. But a whole bunch of you maybe are, where if I'm honest, I am. But as I start asking, there's some serious red lights that start going on. Oh God, not that, that, no, no, not that Jesus. You mean that too? No, 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 God, you, God, you must be deceived. Let me go ask someone else to pray about this. But just to start taking this question to God and say, God, what if, what if you did ask me this? How would I respond? Would I be in a place where I would react like this man and I would go away very sorrowful? Or have I been so liberated from wanting to serve mammon that serving God is easy? For most of us, it's probably just a couple of hooks full of this mammon thing. God, I want to serve you, God, but this. God, I'll serve you 95%. Just, just, this, just this one little thing. And I believe God's wanting to wash that out of all of us to enable us to, to really be able to follow him, to be able to say, Jesus, no, I can't. I can't serve you and mammon. Then it's an easy choice. I don't like preaching. I would have printed my stuff out, but Stanaton bug bit me. I don't like doing that thing because Eve's been here. Look, it's a fallen computer. Some will get that later. Sinful all over it. That's why I prefer a piece of paper. It's just so much easier. Just didn't have time today. Christoph dropped me off here straight from Stanaton. So I haven't even looked, but I'm guessing my pants are filled with gunk from under the car. Fortunately, Ryan and Hayden were doing a lot of the digging as well. So I can have mark of honor and will climb. And then I saved my pants sort of ish and they got all muddy for me. Uh, how's that for superheroes of the day? But the car is still not here. But anyway. What if Jesus asked you this? And that's a question really just, just between you and Christ. And I want to encourage you to go ask this question. God, the stuff, the security of this world. Jesus, you said if anyone desires to come after me, let him fulfill himself. Take up his dreams. Follow his hopes. No. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. So much of that has to do with in this world, this money thing. And don't get me wrong, God's got no problem with anyone being rich. Scripture's full of really rich, great, amazing people of Christ. But God is concerned about a heart that's not fully devoted to Him. We can either serve God or we can serve Him. Now I want to encourage us, now I want to pray with us to come to a place where every decision we make Yes, there's a financial implication. Yes, we're aware of that. But we're not basing our decision upon that. We're just basing our decision on one simple thing. What has God said? I want to ask you this afternoon, this evening, just to stand with me. And I want to read for us a passage. Many of us know well from Joshua 24 verse 15. And it's Joshua speaking. He says, 
If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day who you will serve. Whether the gods of your, which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, or Mammon in this case, and then this last phrase which I so love. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There are a bunch of other reasons why we couldn't and shouldn't and things that sway our decisions. But Jesus, as for me, I can't speak for anybody else, but as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to ask us to bow our heads tonight. If tonight with me you want to pray that prayer and say, God, I acknowledge that there are times when I serve mammon. And I want to repent of that and turn away from that, Lord. I want every decision in my heart and my life to be one where I serve you. Like Joshua, I want to make the statement of intent that I will serve the Lord. And in the same way, ask the Holy Spirit, you will empower me to serve you and to make those decisions following you. If you want to pray that prayer with me, I want to ask you just wherever you're standing, just to raise your hand. I'm going to pray for us and pray for me and pray for those of you who are raising your hands. And Father, I want to thank you for every one of these raised hands and for what they represent, Lord. A heart and a life, Lord, that acknowledges, Lord, that we can't. Lord, we can't want to serve you and mammon. And we pray that, Holy Spirit, you would come right now in the name of Jesus and just deliver us from every hold that mammon has on our lives, Lord. Lord, we repent for every decision, money-based decision we've made, Lord God. Every decision that's been contrary to your will, but it's made financial sense, Lord God. Every decision, God, that you haven't breathed over, Lord, but the bank account agreed with, Lord. God, we want to turn away from that. We want to walk away from that and follow you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we see that every person you've ever called, Lord, in Scripture, you called away from their livelihood, Lord. But in that, God, you prospered them so abundantly in ways that no money could ever buy. And we choose to trust and believe in your character and your heart towards us. Jesus, we say we want to serve you, Lord. We want to serve you and no one else. And like Joshua, we just make this declaration of intent this afternoon, Lord. It's for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Just in your own words, if you have your hands raised, just make that commitment between you and God. You know what He's speaking to you about. You know which areas that need attention. Just bring them before Christ. while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Perhaps there's somebody here tonight and you've never prayed this prayer that we've just prayed of saying, Jesus, I'm going to serve you. I'm surrendering my life to you. Not only your finances, but just in your whole life tonight. Maybe you've been to church a lot. Maybe you haven't. But tonight you want to say, Jesus, I want to know you and I want to follow you. Jesus, I want to surrender my life to you and I want to ask that you come and breathe new life over my earthly body. I'm going to ask if that's you while every head's bowed and every eye's closed. We would so love to pray with you. If that's you, if you could just quickly slip up your hand and say, that's me, Philip. Please pray with me. I want to meet this Jesus. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you for those hands that are going up. I can ask one more time. Maybe you've Raise your hand already. You can do it again. It's like a little wrestling match going on in the inside. Part of you that says, no, no, it's going to cost you so much. You're going to lose. What about this and what about that? And there's something else in you that's saying, man, I need to know Jesus. And right now that decision is in, in your hands and you get the power to make that decision. So I'm going to ask one more time if that's you. I'm going to count to three, and as I get to three, just raise your hand as high as you can. If tonight you want to say, Jesus, my life is yours. One, 
He's got the most incredible plans for you. Two, He's excited about walking a road with you. Three, just raise your hand if that's you. I'm going to ask all of you, if you've raised your hand, don't you want to walk to the front here? I want to pray with you. Just come out right to the front. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. Just say, excuse me, sorry. I need to get past. I'm going to go meet with Jesus. clapping because they're just so excited with you nothing to be embarrassed we just we remember the time we made this decision and we know how it changed our life so drastically but so beautifully so before we pray with these precious people in the front maybe there's one other person standing at the back still and you didn't quite have the courage to put your hand up or you thought there's no ways i'm going in front by myself some other people here in front we'll wait for you if there's anybody else if you still want to be included in this prayer come forward and we'll wait for you if there's anybody else going to just lead us in a simple but incredibly powerful prayer. And all we're going to pray is Jesus. Amen. Sorry. Don't worry. Jesus, come and come and live in my heart because I'm a sinner and I need you to come and save me. Can we pray that? So I'm going to ask you just to pray with me. I'm going to pray like one phrase and you just pray that after me as we just surrender our lives to Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thanks for tonight because I know tonight my life has changed forever God I've never I never want to be the same again and I thank you that by your grace I never will be the same again I know you are the son of God and I'm just a sinner I've messed up so many times. But I thank you, Jesus, that you died in my place so that I can live. Come and live inside of me. I surrender to you because I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I want to know you. Jesus, I want to know you. And I pray that in these next few weeks, you reveal yourself to me. Show yourself to me that I may know you, really know you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you that I can call myself your child and that you are so proud of me. Thank you that today you come and wash away everything. You wash it all away. And we start fresh. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's give God a hand. listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that it was time well spent establishing God's kingdom and proclaiming His glory in your life. For more information, call us on 012-362-1363 or email us at pretoria at shofaronline.org. You may also wish to browse our website at www.shofaronline.org or find us on facebook.com forward slash Pretoria. There is